Oh my God, you're like listening to G'day World with Cameron Riley on the podcast network. Whatever. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to G'day World number 353. My name is Cameron Riley. You're listening to G'day World on the podcast network. And uh, a few short messages from me before I get into my interview today with Anthony Lowenstein, who's back on the show. Anthony, as you may recall, was on the show about uh, six weeks ago. He is the author of The Blogging Revolution, an excellent book that takes a look at some of the uh, non-democratic regimes around the world and how blogging and uh, new media are being used in those countries to either support or fight against the regimes in those countries. He's coming on the show today to talk about internet censorship in Australia, the policy that's being driven aggressively at the moment by the Rudd government that he and I are both uh, very much against. So um, that's a good chat I had with him just briefly uh, earlier today, and um, I'll play that shortly. First of all, um, a few notes. Uh, this is almost the, tw- the uh, annual anniversary of G'day World, um, I think November 26th, which is uh, still a week or two away is the four-year anniversary uh, of me producing G'day World, which was, of course, the first podcast in Australia and the first podcast on the podcast network. And um, I don't know, maybe my last month, too, producing podcasts. Um, I've uh, run out of funds. We we haven't been generating any advertising revenue locally and... uh, uh, my consulting work isn't paying as much as uh, I hoped it would, or it has been over the last year. Some of my clients' funds have uh, dried up. So um, we're running this pledge drive. And this is something that a number of people have been telling me to do for a long time, is to get the listeners of the podcast on TPN to donate money to actually pay to keep the doors open. Obviously, um, this has been a full-time gig for me for four years, trying to you know, run TPN and get the podcasts and keep the servers up and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, people have been saying to me for, as I said, quite some time that uh, they would willingly contribute money on a regular basis if we made it easy for them to do that to support their podcasts across TPN. So I finally got my bum into gear on that. We've, I've been experimenting on a couple of shows like the Biography Show, and that's been well supported by the audience over the last six months. So I've just launched this thing called the TPN Pledge Drive, and um, we're launching it across TPN. You can find the URL at tpn.thepodcastnetwork.com slash pledge, P-L-E-D-G-E. And uh, there are PayPal buttons there where you can contribute a one-off amount, or you can sign up for like a, a recurring monthly payment from as little as $2 a month up to $100 a month. And that will hopefully help me keep uh, the servers up, keep TPN running into the future so we can keep producing non-corporate independent media for you to watch and to listen to. You know, the whole advertising model, when I started TPN four years ago, we thought it would be advertising funded and supported and it's been difficult to sell internet, uh, sell uh, advertising for the podcast for a whole variety of reasons. And then with the current global financial crisis, it uh, looks like online advertising is going to at least slow down, if not go back a little bit. So it's not a good time to be trying to sell advertising on podcasts. And, um, you know, I kind of think you know, the, the longer that I do this, that what we really need uh, in terms of new media is new media that's not funded by corporate 
dollars because that's kind of where it all goes wrong. As soon as you start getting funded either through you know, venture capital investment with big corporate dollars or advertising dollars, I think it, uh, it, it changes the, the nature of the programming um, in a variety of ways and the sort of goals of the business. You know, I, so I, what I would dearly love to see is a whole range of listener-supported uh, new media, blogs and podcasts, similar to how Triple R in Australia or NPR in the US uh, are supported by their audience with their pledge drives. So anyway, TPN Pledge Drive, let's see how it goes. That URL is tpn.thepodcastnetwork.com slash pledge. And uh, please support us so we can keep running. Um, well, that's all the messages that I've got for you today. I'm obviously back from the US. Uh, got back about a week or so ago. Obama's been elected. Anthony and I talk a little bit about that at the beginning of the show today. But uh, as I said, it's mostly about internet censorship. Um, Anthony Lowenstein joins me today. G'day, how are you? I'm good. How are you going? I'm good. How things been? Oh, things have been busy and hectic, mate. What about you? Yeah, likewise. I'm um, doing book stuff and I'm off to the States next week to do some talks um, over there. So, yeah, life is hectic. <laughs> uh-huh. I just got back from the States. Which part are you going to? Uh, Boston, New York. Very mm. nice. Where did you, where, you go? I was in Seattle for a couple of weeks just before the okay. election. How was that? It must be interesting. Yeah, Seattle's a nice part of the world. I've been there quite a few times back in the days when I worked at Microsoft and um, I was hanging out with a bunch of my friends there who were all Democrats and were pro-Obama and Mm -hmm. I was trying to challenge them on uh, their, uh, what I felt was their naivety that Obama was the the second coming of the black Christ and uh, Mm. they they just couldn't, they couldn't see it man and they just couldn't even have that discussion in any sort of, uh, you know, uh, I don't know sensible fashion it was like mm. speaking heresy to speak out about obama i think a lot of people though um now that he's in in the next sort of obviously he's not in yet but you know when he when he starts in january i think within six twelve months there'll be a lot of people who are very very disappointed i mean obviously i'd rather him than mccain clearly yeah um but yeah no i think he's a lot of people i think are so disillusioned with the last eight years they just sort of have put onto him all these hopes and dreams that, you know, America's going to sort of save America from itself, which is, you know, he's, A, he's only one man, and B, he's, you know, he's not exactly some uh, progressive um, figure. I mean, you know, he talks in a lot of generalities. So anyway, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Yeah, you know, my concern is, whilst he does, you know, sound good, is that, uh, you know, he's part of the system. You, you don't yeah. rise to the leadership of the Democrats and get that amount of positive press from the corporate media unless you're uh, part of the machine, you know? True. Yeah, and of course, if he wasn't, then he would never have won, though, would he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's the conundrum, right? Um, yeah. You know, and I was urging people to vote for the Greens, Cynthia McKinney or Nader yeah, or, or somebody Nader. like that. Yeah. And they're all like, well, but they can't win. I'm going, well, <laughs> it's not about yeah, voting right. for who you think can win. Isn't it about voting for who you think has the best policies? But... Uh, yeah, crazy idea. No, and people, you could say, a lot of people might say the same thing here with the Greens, and the Greens aren't going to win, you know, the Prime Ministership, for example. But no, I think, you know, in terms of the major parties, for me anyway, they're, you know, very, you know, well, they're getting more and more powerful. I think that's a good thing. You know, of course, you know, they may not have been corrupted themselves in 15 years, who knows? But, um, yeah, I think, I think it's important to support. I mean, I just don't believe in the two-party system, but a lot of people, I don't know, find it hard to imagine a world without that. 
Yeah, I think we've, you know, we've sort of grown up and been conditioned to believe in the two-party system, but I'm mm. kind of with you. And, um, you know, I think the difference between Australia and the US, as far as I can tell, is that at least here, if you can get an MP in the Greens or family first, heaven forbid, uh, voted in, because the two parties have a roughly equal number of seats, yeah. you have the <laughs> The balance of power thing happening in the U.S. And, and at least they can then throw their weight around in the, um, you know, uh, in the Senate of the House when they're trying to vote through certain pieces of legislation. In the U.S., yeah. um, I'm not sure it works that way. I'm not sure that you have that they have that concept of balance of power for minor parties. I'm not sure either. Mm. Anyway, speaking of uh, balance of power, let's uh, talk about internet censorship. Um, yeah, do you want to, um, I guess you're going to record this, obviously you're going to record this. Are you recording it now or are you about to start? Yeah, no, I've been recording the whole thing. Okay, fine, yep. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, uh, go for it. Well, the, the whole internet, yeah, this, um, the kind of news broke about the clean feed while I was in the US and, um, and I've sort of been catching up on it since I got back. Now, for those that haven't been following this or for people outside of Australia who haven't paid any attention whatsoever... Let's, let's give a brief introduction and then we'll, we'll dig down into it. So essentially the current government that got into power almost a year ago, they actually did have as part of their campaign, if I remember correctly, that they would provide uh, you know, better sort of internet filtering to protect the kiddies from the child pornographers or just from the pornographers in general. Yeah, but what but what's happened in the last month or so is news has come out that this is going to be a mandatory. Uh, there's going to be two feeds. There's going to be a like a, a, a heavy feed for for parents to install to protect their kiddies. Yeah. But but if you opt out of that, you're in the other feed, which is basically going to be censored by an unnamed bunch of uh, Canberrian bureaucrats. And there's no real specifics from what I can tell you as to what they're going to be filtering out. They've they roughly throw, have thrown off some, you know, things about child pornography and terrorists, and there's this broad catch-all as to what those things are. Yeah. Well, basically, I'll give a, a very, very brief background to this. During the election campaign last year, um, the Rudd, then Labor opposition, was talking about installing some kind of uh, system, internet filtering system, as you said, to um, protect children and families from child pornography. And although the then Liberal government, the Howard government, wasn't necessarily opposed to that. They actually initially made the suggestion. Um, as time went on, it was not a major plank of the Liberal Party's policy, but it became, it wasn't a major part of Labor either, but it was something about, you know, I would argue it was a very cheap populist move. And although I can't prove this, my suspicion is that it was very much also a deal with some certain uh, Christian groups to appease their sensibility. So here we are a year on. And during the year, there's been a number of uh, tests that were done fairly secretly down in Tasmania, of all places, um, done by organisations working for the government to see how effective their filtering process would be. Essentially, the government came out, Stephen Conroy, who's a communications minister, came out and said that the tests are fairly successful, we move on. Well, in fact, the tests were pretty unsuccessful. It was a really bad sense of spin. And the tests found that a hell of a lot of websites that shouldn't have been blocked were being blocked. Now, it's important to remember, of course, that child pornography generally is illegal in Australia anyway, so to access certain websites, if you're an individual here, would be illegal, um, and for that matter, other certain sites that in, um, incite terrorism, etc., etc. But what this system is attempting is to try, and, as you said, um, 
formalise this more definitely so parents can feel, so the theory goes, that they're protecting their children from the evils of child pornography. Now, what's come out in the last month or so, this process has accelerated. So although it hasn't got as much press as, frankly, I think it should, um, the government has come out with, dare I say, the support of Christian lobby groups, the Christian, uh, certain Christian lobbies, uh, also um, Family First, Stephen Fielding, a senator, Nick Xenophon, the independent from South Australia, has supported it as well. Um, but their arguments have been a bit different. They've extended it. Rather than just saying, let's ban child pornography, Nick Xenophon, who's been a very big anti-gambling, a pokey campaigner, has argued that there should be a ban on overseas um, gaming websites. And Stephen Fielding has talked about the possibility of banning pornography full stop. Now, of course, the problem with that is that pornography in itself at the moment is not illegal in Australia. Child porn is, and there are certain countries are illegal, although people, of course, access it if they want it, they're going to find it online anyway. Um, the major problem I guess I have with this system is twofold. Firstly, it doesn't work. So even if, which I don't believe, it's a good thing to censor websites, even if you believe that, which I don't, um, the system is, the technology is so inaccurate that we're going to have God knows how many websites that are being blocked that shouldn't be. And secondly, I think it's an issue of free speech, that although I'm not, I don't think you're going to find many people marching down the streets supporting child pornography, this is, I think is a slippery slope. So if you ban child pornography, or, you, or should I say you enforce the ban on child pornography today, what comes next? I had a piece in the age a few days ago, I think I sent to you, which um, you can put on the website hopefully, which talked about the way in which um, the issue of potentially banning websites that allegedly support terrorism. Now, how terrorism is defined is increasingly problematic. I gave the example of Hamas, which is the uh, Palestinian party in Palestine that was elected in 2006 to represent the Palestinian people. Now, <coughs> pardon me. Now, for the vast majority of the West, the Western governments, I should say, Hamas is a terrorist organisation. For many of the individuals, such as myself, Hamas has committed terrorist acts in the past, no doubt about that. But it's a legitimate political party that has to be engaged and represents many Palestinians. Now, can we imagine a scenario in the next years where accessing that website is illegal? And the answer is yes, I fear we can imagine that, because in America, in the last year or so, Joe Lieberman, who's a supposedly Democratic senator, put pressure on Google, who own YouTube, to delete videos that were allegedly endorsing or supporting terrorism. Now, he was talking particularly about Al-Qaeda-type um, sites. Um, but there are countless other websites and ideas that if you're using a government to define it, could well be regarded as endorsing terrorism. Hezbollah, another good example, the Lebanese Shia organization. Um, now, for much of the West, again, they're a terrorist organization. In my view, they're not. They're a legitimate political organization that has in the past, yes, endorsed terrorism, but is a party that must be engaged if there's any chance of peace in Lebanon and elsewhere. So, again, can we imagine a scenario where these websites are blocked? Now, how this relates to Australia, no one's talking, including Rudd or Conroy, about banning these websites. They're not. But the reality is, and the problem is, in my view, that it becomes, um, you know, I don't trust governments to make this decision for me. And once they believe they can ban certain sites, what stops them doing something else as well? So th this brings me to the general idea of censorship, which um, I've been against for a long time, censorship in general. Obviously in Australia, particularly under the Howard years, we saw a lot of censorship happen. You know, the, the one that I remember most vividly is uh, Philip Nitschke's book on assisted suicide, yeah. um, which was banned. 
And, uh, you know, there were, I think there were several tracks by some uh, uh, quote-unquote Islamic extremists that were banned. And, uh, you know, we, we obviously have the usual sort of uh, restrictions on um, X-rated pornography that you can only get in Canberra, except online. Um, do, you, do you have a, a problem with censorship generally? Do you think there is anything that should be censored? Um, I've always been opposed to censorship as well, as you clearly are. And I think the problem with censorship is not so much that I like the idea, for example, of very violent child pornography being available. I find that sort of stuff pretty hideous. Wait, wait, only, only the violent child pornography, the non-violent child pornography you're all right with? <laughs> no, I'm not, no, I've got a problem with child pornography, full stop. Um, just, just, just clarifying that, I guess. Just checking, yes, yeah. I'm glad you clarified that for me. Um, and for that matter, you know, I have, a, I, have a, I have a problem with the idea of websites that, for example, are showing um, extreme violence or, um, you know, people's heads being chopped off, whatever. I mean, that's problematic. Having said that, um, the idea of banning them or blocking them, I think, is something I'm feeling, I feel very uncomfortable with. And interestingly enough, this, of course, brings up the question that, well, therefore, how do you deal, how, you being, how does a government or how do institutions deal with this information that's out there? Now, you know, there's been information in magazines and print publications for a long time that are about child pornography, violence, um, terrorism. This is not particularly new. The difference, of course, is that the ability to um, dissemination of it has, has increased a millionfold. Um, I think we've seen the history of censorship is it generally doesn't work anyway. Now, even if one believes in it, as I said before, it doesn't seem to work. A, it doesn't. Um, if someone wants to find some information, they can. And I think one of the things that is more important, rather than censoring things, clearly, I believe in the idea that people who trade, produce, or um, you know, trade or produce particularly child pornography should be censored. I say, should be um, caught and should be prosecuted. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. And that sort of thing, I think, can happen without the websites being banned. Interestingly enough, there was, an, there was a case about six months ago of. Um, the AFP, Australian Federal Police, broke allegedly or involved in breaking an international child porn ring online. And there were a number of websites um, that were shut down, they'd been monitored for a while. There were literally millions upon millions of people around the world who accessed these websites. There were films and videos that were being produced of children, especially for the site. Now, clearly, people, the, the police, when they were asked about this um, when the story broke, said they'd never seen material that was so disgusting and appalling before. Now, the immediate reaction of the average person might be, well, those sites should be banned. Um, now, my view is, well, I guess I feel uncomfortable doing that. Firstly, I think, would it not be better for those sites to be around so they can actually be monitored? I mean, I think the, you know, the government has a responsibility to monitor information like that. I mean, that to me is what you know, police should be doing, frankly, or with terrorism. Um, banning stuff is problematic and again I think keep in mind the fact that these, a lot of these material is illegal anyway. Uh, now, that, I guess that brings the argument to a bigger uh, picture again. Should these things be illegal in the first place? Now a lot of people would argue nothing should be illegal. Well, I feel pretty comfortable with child pornography being illegal so therefore um, I don't see there's a necessity to necessarily ban websites that, that support that either. So you're talking about the production of child pornography being illegal, and obviously that's something that a government can police if it's being produced on their own shores, but if it's being produced in uh, Russia mm. and, and people are watching it over the internet, you, you feel that the production of it should be 
uh, monitored, but not the consumption of it if it's being produced and distributed outside of the country? No, I, no, I think that, no, I think that, well, the, the production of it obviously is clearly problematic. I think the um, viewing of that material is problematic as well. Now, clearly, the vast majority of people who are interested in child porn are just viewers rather than producers. That's my understanding, anyway. Um, and that clearly is a probably um, is a, a mental issue going on there as well. Should people like that be thrown in jail for 50 years? No. Should they be probably prosecuted for watching child pornography? I can't say yes or no. I mean, it's problematic. Um, but the issue of banning websites is, um, I think, counterproductive because, A, I don't think it contributes anything to actually eradicating what is clearly a massive and growing problem of child porn online. And secondly, I don't see how particularly... Um, provides any kind of educational element. Simply trying to shut something down when a million other sites can spring up tomorrow. It's kind of like, um, you know, I spoke to someone recently about the idea of um, uh, how do governments manage the idea of extreme jihadi websites? How do they manage that? Now, my view is, well, obviously, as I said, institutions or agencies should be involved in monitoring those sites. Obviously, you know, their job is to protect people from terrorist acts. That's what they should be doing. Now, the way they're going to do that increasingly is monitoring jihadi websites. That's what they do. Now, there's ways to do that without banning them. To me, banning them pushes things far, further underground. Now, these things are often underground as they are. Um, but it's such an ethical question, it's also a practical question. And in terms of what they're trying to do in Australia, um, with the sort of smart filter or the child and protection filter, call it what you want, is that it's so inaccurate and it's so counterproductive. And I might add one important point, that many ISPs have come out and have been very vocal against the plan, saying, A, it doesn't work, B, it's going to cost us a lot of money, and C, it's actually not going to be very effective. Now, a cynic in me says the ISPs are worried they're going to have to pay more themselves to do this kind of work, and therefore they're just a bit worried about that kind of, you know, added, um, you know, uh, cost to their bottom line. But I think they're also just aware of the practical reality of it as well, that there's not going to be much transparency in this process. So governments will essentially be telling an ISP, ban this site, block that site, censor that site. Um, and as, they, as the ISPs have responded, the technology as it exists is so inaccurate that you actually, it's not, it's not, it's not as simple as just saying block that website. Um, and there's no transparency in that. So the average user won't actually know what sites are blocked, which I think is a problem too. Now, Malcolm Turnbull, uh, who is, as you know, currently the federal opposition leader in Australia, back in August when he was the opposition treasury spokesman, he uh, made a, a statement where he said that Prime Minister Rudd should criticise the Chinese government for censoring the internet. Um, have you heard Turnbull speak out about Rudd now wanting to censor the Australian internet? Well, no, in a word. Um, I think uh, the position of leader suddenly changes your priorities. I mean, uh, Malcolm Turnbull also was the only prominent politician months ago when uh, there was a furor about the um, Bill Henson pictures, when Turnbull's the only leading MP who came out and said that he thought that the police should not be in the business of uh, raiding galleries and taking away photographs which of course is probably because he had some photographs of Henson himself, but also I think he was actually the only voice of sanity. Kevin Rudd, of course, called the photographs disgusting and said, well, essentially, seemed to imply that Bill Henson was a, was a pedophile, which he clearly is not. Um, since he's become leader, though, 
Turnbull has been very critical of Henson. So in relation to the child, uh, to the uh, internet censorship issue, I mean, Kevin Rudd has not actually said much on this in the last month, I have to say. Um, <clears throat> the only person who's been saying a lot about this is Stephen Conroy. Um, the opposition, I think, have been, interestingly enough, very critical of this system, not because they're particularly opposed to the idea of it, but they're saying it won't work. The technology's not good enough to make it work. So, interestingly enough, you have a situation where the Labor government, yet again, is on kind of a supposed moral crusade against um, the evils of the world. <clears throat> and the Liberal Party, for, dare I say, very pragmatic, cynical reasons, is being more sceptical. But, you know, again, if we look at the track record of the Liberal Party over the last uh, 11 years they were in government, they were obviously extremely pro-censorship <clears throat> and uh, dissuading any sort of dissenting conversation that didn't map to their view of the world. So I find it hard to believe that the Liberal Party are going to be the uh, defenders of uh, freedom free of speech. speech. I agree with you. No, I'm not, you're right. I'm not suggesting for a second the Liberal Party are defenders of free speech. What I am saying is, though, that they, the Labor Party is as much in thrall to the Christian lobby. And what's interesting about the Christian lobby is, A, it gets, it gets virtually no personal strain about how it actually works. I mean, in terms of numbers of individuals who are very involved in the Christian lobby, it's very small. Um, you know, a lot of Australians would probably, on the census form, tick, them, tick themselves being Christian, a vast majority, in fact. But most of them have no religious affiliation, really, apart from you know, attending Christmas with their family. So the question really is, why do these quite hardline, anti-abortion, anti, um, I would say, fun living individuals have so much, so much um, influence on government? Did you? Um, sorry, did you? Did you just associate abortion with fun living there? <laughs> call it what you will. Um, but I think, I mean, I mean, we see it, of course, in America in a far stronger way uh, with the evangelical Christianity movement. Although, interestingly enough, in the election two weeks ago in the U.S., that movement had far less influence than it has had in the past on the election campaign. And a lot of people were very excited about Sarah Palin, but not enough, obviously, to get um, McCain and her across the line against Obama. But I think in Australia, the Christian lobby um, and so-called family associations are lobbying government. And more importantly, there's lack of transparency about actually how that influence has worked. We don't know, for example, before the election, what agreements the Rudd then opposition made to these guys for what they would do in government. We now have a situation when they are in government and they're increasingly, the only people who are supporting the run government are these lobbies. Um, so there is a growing um, group of individuals from across the political spectrum actually who are coming out being critical of what the run government's doing on this. And I hope, although I suspect and fear that the government will continue trying to push it through anyway, the reality is that um, there's increasing arguments of um, practicality. But I think, as I said in my age piece, this issue really should not just be about, oh, it's going to slow speeds down or it's going to be not practical. It should be a free speech issue. And what I tried to do and what I'm trying to say um, by campaigning on this is to say that we should feel uncomfortable when a government makes a decision with virtually no transparency that some material should be unavailable. What the government thinks it has a trump card with is that, as Stephen Conroy has said constantly, when people who are critical of him say, well, so you support child pornography, do you? You know, it's a very base liberal party kind of tactic in a way i would sort of say in response no of course i don't support child pornography what i do have a problem with though is you as a government banning information with lack of transparency and frankly i worry that it's the same at the beginning yeah i agree with you i mean that that is a that's a very john howard-esque it is type approach just basically using emotional exclamation marks to shut down 
debate and discussion about what is a very important uh, policy position for them, increasing censorship of Australia. I agree. Now, speaking of the Australian Christian lobby, I agree with you that the, the rise of the Christian right in this country is one of the things over the course of the last decade which has concerned me greatly. Uh, and uh, I note that uh, on their website, the ACL's website, they mention that uh, Malcolm Turnbull just did the keynote address to the Australian Christian Lobby's National Conference is that right? there in you Canberra. Go. And uh, as did former New South Wales Premier Bob Carr was also one of the speakers there. Right. And um, Turnbull said that uh, for any, the nation is stronger if people are legally married and if more children are brought up by a father and a mother. Well, what's interesting, of course, is um, I think there's a profound disconnect between the Christian lobby and the views of the major pop- the majority of the population. One only has to look, for example, in the US, where although you would get a sense by listening to the Republicans that virtually every American is opposed to abortion, in fact, the rate of abortions in America, the support for abortion, in fact, is going up. I mean, the rate of abortion is going up too, which in some ways is pretty unfortunate, but nonetheless, the amount of support for abortion is rising greatly. And Australia study after study after study finds that the majority of Australians support the idea of abortion. A lot of people, as I do, would like there to be less abortions. I think that would be a better situation for a variety of different reasons. But the reality is that most Australians, men and women, believe that a woman has the right to choose. So therefore, it seems curious that the Christian lobby who are fundamentally opposed to abortion, I don't think there's any chance in Australia, I would say fairly confidently, that abortion will become illegal. Just in Victoria in the last couple of months, there was legislation that makes it easier for a woman to get an abortion. And although there was opposition to that, the vast majority of the population in studies or polls and across both political parties supported the idea of this being possible. So I think Australia is fairly safe at the moment with the idea of abortion remaining legal and available. And in America, of course, the famous Roe versus Wade um, decision from the Supreme Court from the early 70s, of course, made abortion possible. If the Republicans had got in two weeks ago, there's no doubt that both McCain and Palin had talked about putting new uh, judges in the Supreme Court to possibly overturn Roe versus Wade, which would have been a disaster. Obama, I think, is not likely to do that. He supports Roe versus Wade, and the Democrats support that, thankfully. Um, but that's at least one positive for the Democrats winning two weeks ago, that those decisions will remain for the foreseeable future. Um, but in Australia, I think there is a lack of media transparency about how these Christian groups work. And they're pushing an agenda which the vast majority of Australians don't agree with. And yet, governments across both political persuasions, the Labour and Liberal parties, seem very keen to appease them, which I think is a problem. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there needs to be uh, much more of a light shone on these sorts of organisations by the media in this country so we can get a better understanding of who they are and what their agenda is. Indeed. Um, Let's talk about what we do about this uh, internet censorship. Now, there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter over the last uh, few weeks about this. And there's a couple of, there's a bunch of websites and Facebook groups that have popped up, so no to the clean feed. People are suggesting that everyone should write a letter to either Senator Conroy or to uh, their local ministers expressing their disgust at this uh, this process. Um, is that enough? Do you think it, the writing letters is going to be enough to stop this from happening or should we take you know, further action? Well, I guess there's a few things I'd say. There's another great website people should look at called somebodythinkofthechildren.com, which is a great website, one out of Queensland, by this young guy who I met a few months ago. He's one of the 
one of the best bloggers on this issue. So I'd urge listeners to have a look at that. Somebody think at the children dot com. It's a great website. In terms of how we deal with this issue, what's interesting is there seems to be, as I said, an increasing number of uh, disparate groups or individuals who are coming out opposing it. ISPs are, and of course, ISPs being opposed to it presents the government with a serious problem because ISPs themselves are the ones who are going to have to do it. <laughs> so on a simple practical level, I don't quite know how ISPs are going to change their mind on this unless the government forces them to twist their arm. I don't know. In terms of what the average uh, of, um, citizen can do, yes, I think writing letters would be a good start. I think also trying to alert people, um, so writing letters both to the media and also to senators to say we don't support this. I also think there can be um, an attempt to try and get this issue debated. I mean, there seems to be, in my view, a great lack of public debate about it. It's been it's been some articles in the media about it, but very, very few, too few. Um, I think there also can be a sense of, frankly, writing, maybe futile, but writing politely to the Christian lobby themselves and saying, you know, basically, how dare you speak for us? I think that's an important thing. I'd also suggest it's worth writing to some of the independent senators, uh, Nick Xenophon in um, Adelaide, who admittedly, you know, he's not going to be your and my member, but nonetheless, he could have a deciding vote. Family First, Steve Fielding in Victoria, again, not my member, but someone who has a lot of influence on this because it may well be a deciding vote. So those individuals are worth contacting and, and you know, expressing their disapproval of it and explaining why. That would be a good start. Um, and I think there's also a sense, as I said, that I'm, I'm mildly encouraged by the growing uh, groundswell of opposition to it. Although I fear the government is likely to try and push forward with it, despite the fact that they're going to do tests again in the next couple of months, I understand, somewhere in Australia to test the new um, software, which I don't think will work. In fact, I know it won't work. I just please come out and say consistently, it won't work, it doesn't work, why are you bothering with doing this? And I, the question really to ask Steve Conroy is, everyone who actually knows about this, i.e. more than you, says it won't work. How do you intend this to work? And of course, when he's, his response is when he's asked, well, many Western democracies have this already. What are people complaining about? He talks about New Zealand, Sweden, Britain. Now, <clears throat> on one level, he's not entirely incorrect. There are um, mechanisms in those countries to monitor child pornography, as there are in Australia already. But what does not exist, as and what the government's proposing here, is to implement a very one of the most sophisticated, and I would argue, uh, imprecise, internet censorship programs that a doesn't work, but more importantly, um, will, will be will actually force ISPs. What you can see happening is numerous websites being blocked that shouldn't be. So therefore, ISPs are going to be bombarded with people like you and me saying. Why have you blocked this website? Why have you blocked that website? Because in the test, that's what shows up. It doesn't work. Um, so I would also uh, write to ISPs and support their position as well, uh, because I suspect the government will try and put a great deal of pressure on them to change their view. Is there any way that we can use our uh, dollars, our pocketbook, or the threat of voting against the Labor Party in the future uh, to, to use against this? Yes, I think there is. I think there's definitely a uh, sense that uh, individuals feel that upset about what the Labor government's doing on this. I mean, there's numerous other issues where I think um, Labor Party uh, is mistaken, not least in its uh, foreign policy, Afghanistan, etc., etc. But if people feel very strongly about that, yes, I think they can. I think supporting independents um, who 
uh, are more enlightened, or shall I say, more re realistic on this issue, be worth supporting at the next election. And where that involves financial support, that's of course up to people to make that decision. But I think it's important that, that people um, feel like there's more than just two options. It's not just a Liberal and Labor candidate. As you rightly said before, as much as the Liberal Party has come out um, expressing scepticism towards this program, I don't for a second believe they're actually going to be... It's not done on principle, it's done on purely political, pragmatic reasons. The Liberal Party, I have no faith in opposing this... Uh, system, uh, they may well support it in the end if it comes to a vote. Because unfortunately, these things are seen as cheap populist vote buying, so they think. Um, I think there's a belief that the government will be able to spin this in such a way that it convinces people that um, you know, they're protecting the kids, and anyone who comes out and is against it, as has happened already, the government tries to shut them down by, as I said before, um, you know, arguing that they support a child pornography, which of course is nonsense. Um, but yeah, supporting independent candidates will be a good thing. And I think also to me it would be important if people are bloggers or writers or whatever to actually write about this on their websites, to get the word out, um, or twittering, whatever it may be, just talking about it um, and getting and getting also people involved or interested who maybe don't know much about it. And I think tying into a free speech issue, I think a lot of people. So a lot of people in Western societies, I think, resent the idea of being told what they can and cannot watch or read, and I think that's that's one angle that should be pursued. Yeah, and uh, one of the um, ministers that is really speaking out in Parliament against this is Scott Ludlam from the Australian Greens, and I think it would be worthwhile people checking out the Greens' position on this. I know uh, just uh, yesterday he asked Senator Conroy about this yet again. I'm tracking this, and if people want to track this, you can at openaustralia.org, great um, website that launched in the last six months that helps you track everything that gets said in, in uh, Parliament. Um, basically, they take Hansard and they, they make it more searchable and available mm -hmm. online, and um, yeah. we had the um, founders of that on the show uh, six months ago, but go to openaustralia.org, search, you know, internet, and you'll find a link to this. But mm -hmm. Scott Ludlam asked, uh, you, you were talking about these other countries that Conroy mentions all the time that, that have this. Um, in uh, question time yesterday, Ludlam asked, the, uh, he says, uh, you've listed a number of countries, including the UK, Canada, and those that I mentioned in my question earlier. The reason I put the question to the minister in the form that I did is that none of those countries, the United Kingdom, Canada, Sweden, Norway, New Zealand, and Finland, has mandatory content blockers on the service providers. That is not even under trial in these places. It was trialled briefly, I believe, in Sweden, but it was optional, not mandatory, and that was embroiled in controversy last year when police tried to add certain kinds of peer-to-peer -peer trackers to the list of what were meant to be simply child pornography sites. So we immediately saw the proposed expansion of the list that was being run in Sweden by police for completely unrelated purposes. And um, he asked the minister to respond, and the minister still hasn't, uh, Conroy still hasn't been able to give an answer as to how the system that he's recommending for Australia in any way, shape or form compares with the systems that exist in these other countries. So I think, I think that's definitely worth saying. It's good that you mentioned that. I think in many ways, my sense from Stephen Conroy, I've never met the guy, but um, when you listen to him talking or explaining or defending it, I actually don't think he's particularly across the issue, to be frank. Um, I think he's not... I mean, again, that, of course, ties into the... <coughs> pardon me. That, of course, also ties into um, most of the public, including us, frankly, not knowing the real agenda reason why they're, why they're pursuing this. Um, I have my theories, as we discussed before, about the Christian lobby, but where that's the reason, real reason, of course, I don't really know. 
Conroy, I don't think, fully understands this, and Strasser doesn't fully understand the ramifications of doing it. And I think also he's oblivious to the fact that it's not working. So, as many people have said, we can imagine a scenario in the coming years that if the government does it, A, it's going to be an unmitigated disaster, it's going to be massive tens of millions of dollars of compensation that maybe have to pay to the ISPs for having to do this, which doesn't work. And thirdly, I think there's probably a backlash of individuals and families, for that matter, that are pissed off with the fact that many sites that they want to access are unavailable. So in some ways, I can actually see it being an unmitigated disaster for the government rather than a positive. Where that affects them electorally comes 2010, we don't know. But I'd like to think that it might. And it's worth noting that the uh, managing director of IINet, Michael Malone, I think IINet is one of the biggest... Bloody hell. <laughs> I just clicked on a, a, a Sydney Morning Herald website to get this quote, and Billy Connolly has popped up in an ING direct ad speaking, talking to me. Scared the bloody crap out of me. Sorry about that, uh, breaking the communications. People who put, websites that put on pop-up video ads should be sentenced to hell. Yes, I agree. Um, uh, getting back to Michael Malone, I think Ionet's, you know, one of the top sort of two, three biggest ISPs in the country. He's already come out and said that Stephen Conroy is, quote, the worst communications minister we've had in the 15 years since the internet industry has existed. End quote. It's a big call because there's been some pretty bad ones on the Liberal Party side, that's for sure. Well, I mean, <laughs> Richard Alston was uh, just pretty appalling. Bad. He was hated throughout the industry. Mm. And, uh, you know, in, in under a year, Stephen Conroy has managed to outdo Alston, at least in Michael, Mo Michael Malone's opinion. So, yeah, and, and, you know, this gets back to the beginning of our conversation about Obama. You know, during our last federal election here, Kevin Rudd was the great white hope. And uh, you know, it came. You know, did a couple of scored a couple of easily political points with uh, an apology to the uh, stolen generation and signing Kyoto. But already, the, the, he's not even into his, uh, through his first year yet, and um, making some terrible decisions and going in some terrible directions with this. And as you said, some of his uh, policies about Afghanistan, etc. Oh well. There you have it, folks. Thanks very much for joining us again. And, uh, of course, people can follow your thoughts on this and your writing on this on your website. Give, give your main blog a plug, Anthony. I will. It's anthonylowenstein.com. It's all there. And uh, bloggingrevolution.com, which is my, um, my re recent book, which talks about the internet in uh, non-democratic countries. People can look at that. There's information, podcasts, podcasts, articles, etc., etc. So, yeah, people should check it out. Yeah, very good. Thanks for coming on again, mate. Appreciate my your pleasure. time. Thank you very much. tpn.thepodcastnetwork.com slash pledge 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 tpn.thepodcastnetwork.com slash pledge